He comes to us as a merciful priest. He comes to us as a subversive king. And he comes to us as a mighty prophet. Where's the good in the world? Friends, it is found in the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus came on Palm Sunday on a donkey to take the form of a servant. He will conquer all of his and our enemies. He rules you with the best in mind. Who determines the day you're born or the day you die? It is your subversive king who loves you and he wraps his arms around you and he cares for you. Welcome to the Trinity Presbyterian Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. Trinity is a member congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America and the Acts 29 Network. We are located in Owasso, Oklahoma. Follow us at trinityowasso.com. Also, find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Trinity Owasso. If you would, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word, beginning at verse 29 of chapter 20 down through verse 17 of chapter 21. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus in pity touched their eyes and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a colt tied, a donkey tied, and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And the disciples went as did Jesus as he had directed them and they brought the donkey and a colt and put them on them their cloaks and he sat on them. And most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowds said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house should be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. And when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant 
And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said, yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out to the city to Bethany and lodged there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated, please. Today is Palm Sunday, but I have a confession to make. It's an honest confession. All my life, Palm Sunday has always been a bit confusing to me. It's been confusing to me because here's the crowd protecting Jesus like linemen, protecting a quarterback, like rebuking the blind beggars, keeping people away from him. And he comes in, he comes into Jerusalem with all the pomp and fanfare that would only be given to the high priests during that day. Everybody would have their eyes on the priests and the activities and the program of Passover. But here Jesus is coming into the city in such a way that the whole city is stirred. And they obviously believe that he's the Messiah. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And it's always been confusing to me because as, even as a child, and even still as an adult in some strange ways, it is amazing to me that in six days, they crucify him. And I know that as good reform people sometimes will say, well, that's because of the depravity of the human heart. Yes, but I don't know if we recognize how deep that depravity goes, except when you see passages like Palm Sunday and how quick the passage turns from adulation and praise to piercing the Son of God with nails upon a cross. I find myself on Palm Sunday, quite honestly, needing Jesus to be for me what I simply cannot be because I know that it is not far-fetched for me to imagine that if I were living in Jerusalem in that day, I would be one waving palm branches when he came into town and I would be in that crowd yelling, crucify him, crucify him, when I saw all of the evidence presented to me by the high priests. And frankly, so probably would you. Fickle are our human hearts. And I say this because COVID has brought us through an extraordinary year of amazing upheaval. I mean, if you had a worldview, and we all do, your worldview has been cemented by COVID. Plato talks about how we have a triangle and the triangle represents the priorities in our life. And when you have illness or pandemic, Plato says, or, or extraordinary sickness, then the triangle gets cut down from the bottom up so that it leaves room for fewer and fewer things. And what COVID has done for a lot of us, it has left room for fewer and fewer things. And so what do we choose? We don't choose communicating with community group. We don't choose going to church or even watching it. We choose what we choose the comfort of our own home, the safety of our own, wondering what the stock market's gonna do, wondering if we're gonna lose our job. Like these are the things that are toward the apex of our triangle. And Jesus says to us, just like he says to these blind beggars today, what do you want me to do for you? I mentioned in my prayer just this week, I, we heard the shocking news two days ago. My mother called me about a very well-known man in our own hometown who took his own life. Shocking. Another good friend of mine told me that, he, that his brother-in-law OD'd on heroin earlier this year. LegalZoom, you know, the, the, the legal document place, I know the place that attorneys all hate because it takes the billable hours away from them, but LegalZoom reports that there's a 34% increase in the sale of their divorce documents. Blue Cross Blue Shield reports that alcohol consumption has increased by 23%. Finances are tightening all across America, or in many parts at least, maybe not as affected here. 
So that unemployment in the U.S. is up from 3.5 to 6.7. Listen, our friends doubt the institutions that they once trusted. Our friends look at whether it's government or the church or you name your nonprofit organization that is many of whom are caught up in some horrible sexual scandal. And we've doubted the truth. And you wonder what in the world is going on. And we come back to Trinity. Will there be any hope for us? Some of you who personally have walked through the valley of the shadow of death this year. And all these experiences remind us in the place in the two towers where uh, Smeagol, Frodo, and Sam are coming apart at the seams at Os Giliath. There is good in the world and it's worth fighting for in a world that has had so little, they believe God is not good anymore or they have lost a sense of hope or they need a triumphal king. Here Jesus comes to us in these three stories. He comes to us as a merciful priest. He comes to us as a subversive king. And he comes to us as a mighty prophet. Where's the good in the world? Friends, it is found in the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Hear yourself say that because a lot of you don't believe it. Those of you who doubt God's goodness, I want you to see Jesus as your merciful priest who with compassion comes to you and in pity will touch you and give you sight. And it's not just healing you of your physical ailments or changing your circumstances. It is bringing you back into worship like he allowed these men to come and to worship him in the temple again, which is the unbelievable part of the text. They followed Jesus into Passover for the first time in their life. And some of you get to follow the risen Christ this Easter into the glory and the goodness of his love for you. He has not forgotten you. And then the next story we read is, of course, the famous story of Jesus at the triumphal entry. It's when Jesus comes, and for those who have a lagging hope, Jesus reminds us that he is our subversive king. Jesus' disciples travel 17 miles from Jericho to Bethany along the Roman road. They climb about 3,000 feet in elevation at that time. Bethpage is a town that doesn't exist today. It was either a, a very small village on the western side of Bethany or it was the name for that region in the area at the time. At Bethpage, Jesus instructs two disciples, you go into the village and when you get there, I want you to bring the donkey and its colt and I want you to bring him to me. Most people except the very wealthy walked everywhere they went. And here is the only record where we see that Jesus is riding on an animal. And Jesus was preparing to recreate the return of King David to Jerusalem in peace with humility, as 2 Samuel 19 and 20 teach us. Jesus is coming back into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, which is the animal that the kings in the Old Testament would ride on whenever they were symbolizing periods of peace. And here Jesus comes, not on a war horse, but he comes on a donkey, symbolizing that the Messiah has come to bring peace to Israel amidst all the pomp and circumstance of Passover. Lying down coats was done at the inauguration for Jehu, who was anointed king in 2 Kings chapter 9. Riding into a city like that would be reserved for kings, the attention of which would only go to the high priests at the moment. In 332 BC, Alexander the Great rode into Jerusalem just like this, but on a magnificent war horse. The entourage cried out, Hail Caesar, the Son of God. And here Jesus is 330 some odd years later, riding in the same day, but the same way. There's no war horse. There is no trusted steed. He is on a donkey. He is on a foal, a beast of burden. 
Socrates once said, those who have cultivated gluttony or selfishness or drunkenness are likely to assume the form of a donkey in their next life. They are lowly creatures. And here Jesus is writing in, fully God coming into the city, fully man, humbled, riding on a donkey. What an image, God on a donkey. Can you see it? For those of you who have lacked hope, Jesus is your subversive king who comes in to promise that under the chorus of Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Jesus will know that even through your false confessions that he's the king, he knows your heart and he loves you anyway. And he will go to the cross for you anyway. And he has anyway. And he bears your sin for you anyway. However incomplete your confession of faith or confession of sin may, may be on Sunday mornings at our church. He comes to you and he says, I'm your subversive king. You want a king? You can run to whatever idol you want to, every institution you want to go to, but I'm the one who's subversive. But I will come to you in a way that you do not expect. It says that he stirred up the whole city. At the time, the Herodian kings no longer ruled Judea. It was under exclusively Roman rule. And so the arrival of a Jewish king from Galilee of all places would have caused great concern among Jerusalem's residents because they would all wonder, how are the Romans going to react to this? And Jesus did not entirely, entirely mean to be a good moral teacher. He didn't intend to be a talking head. He didn't intend to be just another one of the list of deities or yahoos who have claimed to be deity in history. Jesus came to be your savior. And he proved that even through the emotion of human beings, praising him on one day and within a week killing him, Jesus was our Messiah. Isaac Watts brings it out in his hymn, Hosanna to the royal son of David's ancient line. His nature's two, his person one, mysterious, divine. The root of David here we find, and offspring are the same. Eternity and time are joined in our Emmanuel's name. Eternity and time are joined in this subversive king. Jesus, if the, for those of you who doubt God's goodness, is your merciful priest who comes to give you sight. Jesus, for those of you lagging hope, is your subversive king who comes to restore your hope and remind you that there is a better day and there is good in the words of Sam Gamgee worth fighting for. And lastly, Jesus comes as the mighty prophet for those who seek truth and justice. The next story that Matthew leads us to is to clearly show us that Jesus, yes, he was a priest, he was the king, and he also was a prophet. In chapter 22, verse 12, the Mosaic law required that Jews would pay a half-shekel temple tax, which they paid in their temple offerings every year. And to accommodate the pilgrims during Passover, the, the religious leaders would set up money exchanges, like you see at international airports. And they would take the Greek and Roman money, and they would trade it to Tyrian currency. And the religious leaders accompanied worship, uh, worshipers by selling animal sacrifices. And Jesus comes into this. This temple court would have been packed. It would have resembled like an outdoor market. It was probably 925 feet by 950 feet, almost a square. It would have been just packed with people. Think like gathering on Maine. That's the kind of environment that Jesus would have experienced here. And think, by the way, of bringing all of Tulsa into Owasso. That's how crowded it would have been. 
packed, people everywhere, shoulder to shoulder. There are definitely not people wearing masks at this event. And people are everywhere, flying all over the place. And here Jesus comes into the temple and he sees the commerce going on, whether it's because of commercial abuse or subtle racism or some of this and more. Nowhere else is Jesus as thoroughly rough as he is here. He doesn't lay a hand on anybody, but he attacks the property to cleanse the temple. And Matthew stresses that the cleansing of the temple was the work of the son of David. Verses 9 and 15, you see this. In Zechariah 14, 21, it prophesied, and on that day there will no longer be traitors. Traitors, T-R-A-D-E-R-S, in the temple of the Lord. And when Jesus explained why he was doing this to the authorities, he quoted scripture. He said from Isaiah 56, verse 7, he said that my house should be a house of prayer. He referred to Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 11, where he said that we should condemn the superstitious reverence of a temple while people dishonor it. The temple is not meant to be a place of economic commerce. It's meant to be a place of worship. And in this context in Jeremiah, the robbers in view that Jesus is referring to were a kind of, they were nationalist rebels. They were people who were using the environment to be able to praise the Jewish nation state and get people worked up in a fervor when they were missing the whole point of the Old Testament prophecies. Jesus says it should be a house of prayer. And he turned the stronghold of Jewish nationalism that dishonored the temple turned over the tables. And in so doing, Jesus is again saying, I am the subversive king who is coming to restore peace to Israel. Did you see my donkey? The symbol of peace, the king rides in. Listen, in this story, you see clearly that Jesus' threefold office of prophet in the cleansing of the temple, priest in the story of Jesus healing the lame, the blind, and king riding into Jerusalem. And at the end of the story, the, 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 the lame and the blind continue to flock to him and Jesus heals them, which we wouldn't think it's that big of a deal, but they immediately, they immediately follow him into the temple. Beautiful. Giving spiritual sight to the physical blind, allowing people to run who've only been able in the past to beg. If we see these threefold offices and we are able to turn the diamond of Jesus's perfection and see all three of them, then we miss some beautiful aspect of the gospel. If you downplay the merciful priest, then you miss his compassion. The Westminster Confession of Faith says, how does God execute his office of a priest? He executed the office of a priest in his once offering up of himself as a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice and reconcile us to God and in making continual intercession for us. Jesus is your merciful priest, O you who doubt his goodness. If we downplay Jesus's role as king, then you lose a sense of his power. Jesus came on Palm Sunday on a donkey to take the form of a servant. He would return later, Revelation chapter 19 says, how? On a war horse, as the true king, the cosmic king who comes to make all things new. Westminster Confession of Faith is pastoral here too. How does Christ execute the office of a king? Christ executes the office of a king in subduing to himself, in ruling and defending us, subduing us to himself, in ruling and defending us, 
and restraining and conquering all of his and our enemies. Who protects you? Who defends you? I know how much you have in your IRA. You do too. I don't really know, but you know how much you have in your IRA. You know how much you have in whatever security blanket you choose, but who really defends you? Who determines the day you're born or the day you die? It is your subversive king who loves you and he wraps his arms around you and he cares for you. He will conquer all of his and our enemies. He rules you with the best in mind. And if you reject, if you downplay Jesus' role as a prophet, well, then you will swim in a sea of truthiness, as Stephen Colbert says, wondering what truth and justice really look like. But on that cross, Jesus shows us what truth and justice looks like and that he was truly, truly the king of the Jews, as the placard on the cross says. And also he demonstrates divine justice. How? And he gave his life up for you. So that as you enter Holy Week, friends, whether you're gonna use these little, these little things from your home to share with your children, or you're gonna think about Jesus as the prophet, the priest, and the king, would you take the time this week to meditate on him and to allow yourself to go over the roller coaster that is this week so emotional, praising him on Palm Sunday, killing him on Good Friday? And would you recognize that even though, even though Jesus knows your heart, he went to the cross still for you. And he wants to enter into your life for those of you who don't think he's good. And he wants to remind you that he is good. He's your merciful priest. Some of you came in this morning with tears in your eyes and tried to catch me or Scott. Jesus is your merciful priest. He wants you. He wants you to know him. He's with you. Jesus is your subversive king. He will conquer all of his and our enemies, now in part because of our sin, one day in whole. And Jesus is our prophet who proclaims to us the truth. The glorious good news of this week is that we get to proclaim the greatest news in all the world, that Christ died for sinners, of which I am the chief. Would you join me? Let's enter this week together. Jesus, our prophet. Jesus, our priest. Jesus, our king for us. Run to him in faith. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would help us as we look to you amidst our doubts of your goodness to know that you are the merciful, merciful priest. To look to you amidst our lagging hope to know that you are our subversive king and to look to you amidst our search for truth and know that you are the prophet. You are the embodiment of truth and justice. Oh, Father, melt our hearts by this truth we pray on this holy week. Help us to run to you in faith now as we prepare for the supper. Bless our tithes and offerings that we give you as an overflow of thanksgiving for what you've done for us. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.